and start your engines. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our guest segment. We're super excited to have him back with us. Of course, uh, those of you that are fans of Skywatch TV know who Derek Gilbert is. He has a new book out, Giants, Gods and Dragons, Exposing the Fallen Realm and the Plot to Ignite the Final War of the Ages. And uh, Derek Gilbert, good to have you back with us, sir. Jim, it's always a joy to be on your program. Really enjoy talking with you. Hey, I don't know if you uh, heard any of my my first segment, but I know I think you get into a little bit of this in your book, but I'm starting to get concerned about this vaccine. And I'm not saying it's the mark of the beast. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is how they plan to kind of force people to take it. Sounds a lot like the mark of the beast. You know, they're going to have a an identification card and block you from flying and block you from going to public concerts, block you from going into maybe your, your grocery store, your bank, your school, maybe even your place of employment. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, this is actually something we talked about on Skywatch TV back in March. So, you know, Sharon... Uh, who co-authored the book with me and wrote the best parts of Giants, Gods, and Dragons. Uh, she's got a degree in molecular biology with an emphasis on genetics. So she understands a lot of this stuff that is related to these uh, mRNA-based vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine in particular. So we've been following this on Skywatch TV. Uh, we, we do a weekly program there, which uh, we're getting ready to sunset in, in, and replace it with something new in 2021, a weekly program called Sci Friday, hmm. both of us being science fiction fans and also with an interest in end times prophecy. So this kind of overlaps into both of our areas of our, our long interest for both of us. But as we discussed it with Tom Horn, we said, you know, really the thing to, to look at with this rollout and what is happening with COVID-19 and the way they're pushing the vaccine and rushing it into production is that this is the way the rollout of the mark is going to look. Now, we don't think, both of us and Tom Horn as well, being pre-trib believers in a pre-tribulation rapture, we, we think we're going to be out of here before that seven-year period that's called the Great Tribulation. So we won't see... The mark of the beast. We don't think. But God is deliberately vague when it comes to end times prophecy, because as we explain in Giants, Gods and Dragons in our previous book, Veneration, and my previous books, the spirit realm is a lot more uh, heavily populated than we've been taught in most of our churches. And so the enemy is listening and they're very old and they're very smart much more intelligent than any of us. So if God makes end times prophecy so clear that we can understand it perfectly, these fallen angels that Paul calls the principalities and powers would understand it even better. And according to Jesus himself, they're already going to come up with a uh, deception that is so in insidious 
that it will deceive even the elect if it were possible. So all we know for sure is that we're getting out of here in intact and that God is and that Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place for us in his father's mansion. So we're looking forward to that. It may not be a, a smooth road between now and then, um, but uh, I'm hoping that those who are not already in the choir will pay attention to what's going on right now and listen to us as we say, look, this may not be the mark of the beast, but when it comes, be prepared because it's going to look an awful lot like this. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, I when I started reading some of these uh, stories where uh, it started out that um, Ticketmaster came up with some idea that you had to you know, somehow connect your Ticketmaster account to like this digital uh, system to prove that you were vaccinated to go to a concert. It's like, OK, no big deal, because maybe I don't want to go to any concerts, even though I've got Michael Bublé tickets. I'm looking forward to seeing him in the spring, but maybe I can't go to that. But OK, oh, well. But then I had read an article right after that that said and the airlines, seeing what Ticketmaster had done, uh, wanted to sort of coordinate with them. And then I read that uh, our own government is coming up with this vaccination card and uh i'm hearing more and more about this becoming digitized also and i'm thinking to myself well you know let's say you're a grocery store and you want to only let people in that have the vaccination maybe you don't have the personnel to really monitor like the front door and look at everybody's cards to show they're vaccinated well maybe we do a qr code or something that you just can flash this thing and now you can buy groceries and i'm just i was starting to think this through and i'm thinking this is the mark of the beast i mean this is like the system that they would create and what you just said was fascinating about the rna because a lot of people don't know this and i'm no medical expert i guess your wife is and that's great that you've got her to comment on a lot of these things but my understanding is that one of the three vaccines relies on sort of the old school. We're going to inject you with a tiny amount of the virus. Your body will do what it naturally does, which is to build up an immunity. However, two of the three vaccines are working on this concept of RNA, which my best understanding of it as a layman is we're going to basically inject your body with a software program that's going to tell your body to do certain things to make it uh, build up the antibodies. And some people I've read about, I've read, you know, I've thought, well, this is great, but we've never done this on a mass scale. And this could be like Frankenstein's monster. This could have some widespread unintended consequence that nobody thought about. And millions of people could be hit with infertility or some other side effect that is worse than COVID itself. Yeah, that's something that Sharon and I were uh, looking at uh, just the last couple of days. And in fact, I'm bringing up a PDF document as we're, we're talking because I, I found this really interesting. Uh, I had to trace it down because I, I saw it first linked at a couple of websites that I, I don't normally trust for, for news. But uh, this this is legit. A couple of well-known physicians, including the former head of um, one of Pfizer's divisions. He was a vice president of Pfizer and in charge of research for one of their divisions over in the UK, uh, Dr. Michael Yeadon, and a, uh, another fellow in uh, Germany, Dr. Uh, Wolfgang uh, Vodark, have uh, filed a petition with the European Union asking them to stop the trials of the uh, mRNA vaccines. Now, we, we've seen a lot of stuff floating around on the internet this year that this will change your DNA 
uh, think back to high school biology, that doesn't happen. DNA encodes RNA. RNA encodes proteins. That's always the way it works. RNA does not change DNA. That is physically impossible. However, having said that, the way RNA is also a very fragile molecule. So in order to get it through the cell wall so that it can use the cell's machinery, you know, our, our cell's machinery to crank out copies of the spike protein, that's the little stuff that protrudes out uh, from the surface of the virus, to provoke the immune response, they have to coat it with a, they, they are coating it with a nanoparticle uh, lipid coating. That's a fatty coating made of nanoparticles. But apparently there are things that they have not really tested extensively as they've tried to rush this into, um, into production. And according to Dr. Vodark and Dr. Eden's um, complaint with the European Union, um, polyethylene glycol, is found in this fatty lipid nanoparticle coating. 70% of people make antibodies to PEG, and most don't know it. Now, this is what you might call a uh, an adjuvant, something that uh, supercharges a vaccine. The problem is, um, if people have allergic reactions, if it stimulates too aggressive an immune response, this could be potentially life-threatening. And again, they've rushed the test through in a matter of months instead of years, which is normal for a vaccine. So we don't know if this is something that would uh, cause long-term issues. The other thing, you mentioned infertility and uh, the, the process that they're concerned about that they mentioned in their petition is that, um, and I'm trying to render this down for lay people, which I am uh, myself. This is something Sharon would actually be able to explain better. Um, essentially, the spike that they're trying to create is one that is similar to a, a spike protein that is required for the development of the placenta in mammals. And, and obviously, you have to have a placenta for uh, a successful pregnancy. So if you triggered a, an immune response to this particular protein, you're basically turning the body against the uh, basically making it, potentially anyway, making it impossible for women to conceive. Now, again, yeah, this, is, yeah, this is scary stuff. And then you've got you've got Facebook coming out, Derek, saying um, they're already saying in advance, anybody that does not toe the line that starts posting anything anti-vaccination, it's going to be all shut off. And so yeah, they, yeah. they don't want us to know any of this. And you're talking about credible people. That story uh, was in Zero Hedge today that that uh, Pfizer, uh, former Pfizer executive. Uh, these are people that know what they're talking about. They're not conspiracy theorists. And they're basically saying, hey, maybe we're rushing into this a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm even willing to split the difference and say, why don't we vaccinate, you know, all of the people who are at risk? Um, that are willing to be vaccinated. And we'll start with that, maybe then wait a year and see what happens, because everybody else who's not at risk, who's, you know, younger than 80, who doesn't have comorbidities is 99.9% are surviving this, even though, you know, obviously it's spreading like wildfire. Most people are surviving it. So let's focus on those that are sick and continue to, you know, keep them away from the general population, maybe vaccinate them. Uh, but this is going to be a major ordeal, isn't it? In about like what, three months, if we don't, if they, they're going to tell us, look, if you don't get vaccinated, 
You can't come back to work. You can't. Your kids can't come back to school. You can't get into the grocery store. Now it's masks. But and some people were saying, well, when the masks go away, uh, you know, when the vaccine comes, the masks will go away. Well, now they're telling us, no, they're saying you'll still be wearing the masks for maybe a year because uh, some of the people commenting on the Pfizer vaccine are saying there's no proof that even if you're vaccinated, you can't carry the virus and transmit it to someone else. So you could be totally asymptomatic, totally vaccinated and still according to Pfizer uh, still transfer it so all of this masking up and shutdowns and all of that it it doesn't seem like it's going to help us in any way well again this is how it's all going to look when this eventually comes around and this leads to the prophetic implications of uh, the World Economic Forum's Great Reset Uh, in fact uh, I contributed a chapter to the new book by uh, Tom Horn called The Messenger and um we, we've uh, been, been looking at uh, a number of just the, the way things are happening and happening more quickly and more rapidly. Uh, it, it is just really, really astonishing. Um, the, the world is being pushed by these principalities and powers. And, and this is the thing as Christians. Uh, and, and Jim, you really do something unique. And I think we do the same sort of thing as Skywatch TV. That's a little unique and that we do look at the uh, the natural realm and politics because that controls the way we live, the way we can raise our children and train them up in the way they should go. But we have to step back and then remember that the human faces are just the um, the, the shadows of the real substance of what's going on. They're, they're the shadows of the real struggle that's taking place in the spirit realm, which is why Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, you know, we're not wrestling against human opponents. It's principalities and powers and rulers of this, you know, cosmic rulers of this this present darkness. You know, the rulers of darkness and evil in the high places. He was basically saying our real enemy, and we need to remind ourselves of this, are these evil intelligences who want to destroy us. And God has prophesied their ultimate end. Well, they are pushing toward an end game that God has already warned us about, and that is moving us toward a one world government. It's going to look a lot like what Nimrod tried to accomplish back five, six thousand years ago, where he tried to bring the whole world under a uh, into a socialist empire. And I, I've written about this. In fact, I was just uh, surprised myself. I was looking at some pictures that Sharon and I took when we were at the uh, British Museum in London last year. There's a, a really crudely made clay bowl called the Beveled Rim Bowl. That's sort of like the, um, the, the defining artifact from the uh, period of history in Mesopotamia called the Uruk Expansion. Well, Uruk is just the uh, that was the, the center of Nimrod's kingdom. It's the name of the land today, Iraq. We just say it a little differently. Mm-hmm. But they found thousands upon thousands of these crudely made bowls. They look like something kids would make with Play-Doh. But the point of these bowls is that they, they, they find so many because they were essentially disposable. And the purpose was to hold a day's worth, a day's ration of grain or barley. Here, here here's your day, here's your day's bowl of gruel. Now go out in the field and work mm. and bring it all into the temple where we'll sacrifice it and offer it up to the goddess Inanna, uh, Ishtar. And uh, that was Nimrod's kingdom. Well, essentially, they're trying to push us back into the same direction. The beveled rim bowl, this crudely made clay bowl that was so cheaply made, they just threw them away instead of reusing them, is the 6,000 year ago equivalent of universal basic income. 
Yeah. Here's, here's your allotment. Uh, that is insane. And, you know, I know I get emails from people when I start talking about the Great Reset. Conspiracy theory. This the, you're, this isn't real. Go to folks. If you're watching right now on the, on post production, I'm going to put in the graphic of this. But anybody right now, you can go to Amazon.com and you can type in the Great Reset. Just type it in. And you will see a book written by Klaus Schwab, who is the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. And they go on to explain uh, this great reset and why it needs to happen and on and on and on. And I have that this book. I just got it yesterday. It's sitting on my dining room table. I'll be reading it this week and doing a special report on it this week. But this whole idea, uh, Derek, of a one world government, of a one world currency, of a one world church, this is not just some wild theory uh, that someone like an Alex Jones came up with. This is right from scripture, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Schwab took the idea. He's been kind of pushing in this direction anyway, but uh, Sharon pointed out that um, this really draws from a book called The Great Reset by an author named uh, Richard Florida, written some years ago. And um, he's arguing that in order to achieve the kind of uh, development that uh, humanity needs we need to all move into cities we need to have more uh, shall we say diversity in in our sexual orientations because it's only those people who are truly creative enough to help mankind achieve and move past the the problems that confront us well when you, when you look at the the civilization in ancient Uruk Nimrod's kingdom of 5,000, 6,000 years ago, that kind of defined his kingdom as well. I mean, the people in Sumer were drawn into cities rather than living agrarian or pastoral lifestyles like the people who lived further out in what is now uh, western Syria and uh, southern Turkey and whatnot. But they were also, uh, again, Uruk was the, uh, the city that was sacred to the goddess Inanna. Well, Inanna, Ishtar, Aphrodite, Astarte in the Bible, she was known as the goddess of sex and war. And, and by sex, we're not talking the concept that we have of Venus or Aphrodite from high school mythology class, you know, the goddess of love. No, no, Inanna was the, the goddess of gender fluid carnality. Hmm. I mean, 5,000 years ago, there are surviving Sumerian hymns that praise her for being able to change men into women and women into men. And sometimes she was a woman, but sometimes she was a man. And uh, even in uh, Canaan, in the biblical times, she was worshipped in the evening as Venus. You know, the evening star represented her as Astarte. But in the morning, she was male, the war god called Atar. So this was a very old thing. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law and said, OK, we're not going to do this, that and the other. You know, those parts of Leviticus that you don't read out loud when your children are in the room. Right. It wasn't because God was trying to invent things to tell the Israelites not to do. It's because the people in Mesopotamia had been doing that stuff for thousands of years. So this is a push. And I, I believe that this is representative of these spirits that we are confronted by. Uh, Sharon has done a couple of presentations at conferences over the last couple of years on Inanna as the spirit of our age. What defines Western civilization today, if not for sex and violence? And we mean when we talk about sex, I mean, if you dare suggest that 
men are men and women are women and ne'er the twain shall meet, you are considered a hater. So, yeah, you can't you can't even you can't even bring that up anymore. And uh, I mean, it's it's literally like you're banned from everything. If you talk about anything to do with sexual purity or anything to do with God's plan for what sex is supposed to be. And even so many churches today won't go there. And, you know, one of the one of the signs uh, and I, I a lot of people don't know this. A lot of Christians don't know this who haven't really studied the Bible. But one of the signs of the end times is the apostate church. And and I ask people this all the time. When is the last time your pastor talked about transgenderism, homosexuality, sexual purity, abortion, uh, any of these cultural issues that would maybe make somebody mad who's who's attending? Uh, when's the last time your pastor talked about sin or hell, uh, eternal separation from God? We've got churches today uh, that are preaching, you know, like the Joel Osteen, every day is Friday. That's that's the gospel is every day is Friday. Uh, th- this mm-hmm. is one of the signs, Derek, is it not the watering down of these churches? And it seems like the more they water down the gospel, the more they get away from the cultural war, the bigger they, they grow into these giant, you know, NBA size stadiums of people thinking they're going to hear God's word. Yeah, and it's it's not that uh, we we want to be angry and, and get up in everybody's face with with uh, you know hey you're wrong, but uh, it, it is indicative of that. Uh, well, one of the very first lies recorded in, in the Bible, which is when uh, the the serpent in the garden said to Eve, "Did God really say you know dot dot dot." And that that's kind of what we're hearing in many of our churches today. But again, even that was prophesied by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, you know, itching ears and uh, doctrines of demons. It, it is really easy to get angry about this, but we need to remember, again, that the enemy is not the enemy is not the people who are espousing these ideas, whether they realize it or not. They're actually human shields for the real enemy in this this war who are the giants, gods, and dragons that Sharon and I write about in the book, the uh, supernatural entities who are pushing, nudging, cajoling, luring us into this uh, the, these behaviors that God 3,400 years ago told Moses and the Israelites, okay, here, here's what's right, here's what's wrong. And uh, again, the irony to this, Jim, is that when Moses came down the mountain with those tablets, that was progressive, what we're being told today is progressive is behavior that was very old <laughs> yeah. when Moses came down from Sinai. Right, right. I mean, it, nothing has changed. I mean, these are things that uh, that go back to the very beginning. I mean, uh, sexual impurity, all these kinds of things. Now, I want to shift gears and get into the book a little bit more. One of the most fascinating bullet points I saw here uh, with the Amazon description is the identities of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, this is something really yeah. fascinating. If you, you know, you know, watch a movie about the revelation in the end times, you hear people talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Start out by just explaining what that actually means and then uh, drill down and tell us what your what your thinking is on on the, the four horsemen. In, in Revelation chapter six, we are given these uh, descriptions of these entities, these riders on these four horses, each riding a horse of a different color, and uh, these seals that are opened by the Lamb who was slain, that's Jesus Christ, uh, 
releases another one of these these horsemen to go forth and and wreak havoc upon the earth. The first one being the rider on the white horse who goes forth conquering and to conquer. The rider on the black horse is the second one. He goes forth, or rather, the rider on the red horse goes forth second, and uh, he is uh, clearly a representation of. Uh, uh, of, of war, the rider on the third horse is the rider on the black horse, and uh, he carries what is uh, translated in Revelation as scales and uh, appears to represent famine. And then the rider on the fourth horse is actually named, and this is death, but in Greek it's Thanatos. And this is what started us down this uh, line of thinking of, it's like, wait a minute, maybe we can identify who these entities are. Maybe these are not just symbols, but these are actual angelic beings, entities. Um which just kind of has grown out of the research that we've been doing the last few years. My books, uh, The Great Inception, The Last Clash of the Titans, uh, and then Veneration. We, we've done a lot of research in, into uh, what the pagan world around ancient Israel believed. Not that we believe that you have to understand the Bible by viewing it through pagan eyes, but there are things in the Bible that only make sense when you understand what the pagans around ancient Israel believe, because a lot of these weird things that are in there that don't really make sense, like why did God part the Red Sea? Why did he tell Moses and the Israelites to turn around as they were getting away from Pharaoh and camp at a specific place? There's an answer for that. Why did he have Joshua build an altar overlooking the city of Shechem on Mount Eval to, you know, for the blessings and the curses? We think there's a really good answer for that too, but you have to understand what the pagans around ancient Israel believed. So if we can point to the activity of these fallen angels in the Bible and the writings of the prophets and the apostles against these entities. In other words, Baal was real, not just a, an imaginary friend for the pagans who lived around ancient Israel. Um, if Astarte and Chemosh and Molech were real entities, fallen angels who rebelled against God, well, why not the four horsemen of the apocalypse? seeing as how Thanatos was a known god to, in the Greek pantheon, which you know was the period in which John was writing. He was living essentially in a world that had been dominated by Greek culture for about 400 years. So let's follow the clues and see who the other, the other writers of uh, the... And just uh, to clarify, Derek, for people, for people not familiar with your other books and, and with you, we're talking about small G gods... And, and correct, correct me if I'm wrong, these are uh, demonic uh, figures, uh, fallen angels. And uh, mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about, because I know we've all studied, you know, mythology. It was required in, in my, uh, you know, upbringing in, in school. And we always think of it as just not real. You know, all of, you know, Zeus and all of these great gods and, and all of that. But your thought is that these were actual real beings, at least some of them were. And these were fallen mm -hmm. angels. Is that right? Absolutely. And that was the understanding of the Jews of Jesus Day and the early church as well. So we're not reinventing something here. We're not trying to come up with a new way of reading the Bible. We're trying to go back to the way that the apostles and the prophets understood right. the world around them and understood their relationship to God and the, the gods that their pagan neighbors served. Um, so with Thanatos, and of course, Hades also mentioned as a, a, a writer alongside Hades, or alongside death, rather, Thanatos, uh, also a god in the Greek pantheon. So we started looking at the uh, the clues for the other riders of uh, Revelation 6. The rider on the white horse, there are some who 
think that that represents the Antichrist. Uh, we we disagree. Um, the Antichrist is the beast who comes out of the sea in Revelation 13, and we're told that he wears uh, ten crowns, whereas the rider on the white horse also has a crown, but it's a different type of crown. You have to look at the Greek. The crown on the rider of the white horse is called a Stephanos. It's a laurel leaf crown that uh, was later associated with the Roman emperors, uh, typically given out at uh, Olympic Games. But the crown worn by the beast of Revelation 13 is a diadem, which is a crown of royalty. So you've got seven heads, ten horns, ten diadems on that beast. Not the same entity. Um, so we've got this this entity riding this white horse, carrying a bow, and in the Greek, that's toxon. Now, that was a big clue, because there is a fallen angel known to the pagans around ancient Israel as a warrior god who was an archer who spread plague with his bow. Hmm. The Canaanites called him Reshef. Interestingly, he was also the gatekeeper of the underworld. The Babylonians called him Nergal, but the Greeks and the Romans called him Apollo. Hmm. A plague god, an archer, toxon, that's the word from which we get the word toxic. Uh, and uh, interestingly, according to the Greeks, Apollo was the one who invented the laurel leaf crown, the Stephanos. So we argue that the rider on the white horse is Reshef or Apollo. And we see Reshef actually mentioned a couple of times in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 3, 5, where the prophet is uh, re recalling the, the history of Israel when God marched out from Sinai, from Paran, P-A-R-A-N, that's a synonym for Sinai. Uh, plague and pestilence went with him. Pl pestilence before him, plague following after him. And uh, pestilence, Dever in Hebrew, was also a known Canaanite demonic entity. So scholars are pretty much agreed, yeah, th these are references to these entities, but of course it's been translated into English and kind of lost in the translation is the fact that uh, we're not dealing with forces of nature here, uh, viruses and bacteria or whatever. We're actually dealing with entities that caused this kind of illness. Now, you're and, not necessarily yeah. saying that one of the four horsemen have caused COVID, but just like we talked about a moment ago, <laughs> Just like we talked about a moment ago about the this is not the mark of the beast, but it, it could look like this. I think COVID is at least the wake up call that, wait a minute, something like this could happen worldwide. And look at the ramifications of it from, you know, whole countries being shut down, economies being shut down, uh, people dying, uh, schools being shut down. So we had never seen anything like this. I think most of us in our lifetimes, you know, people that have been alive the last 50, 60, 70 years haven't seen anything like this. This is certainly, again, like another preview, is it not? It is. It is. Now, we argue in the book that we believe these writers have been out there writing since the first century, because, again, it's Jesus in heaven who is opening these seals. And we know from the writings of the apostles, the letters in the New Testament, that Jesus is already at the right hand of the Father. So when John appears in heaven in Revelation 4, and he's told, you know, Revelation 4 and 5, and uh, there's no one in heaven who's worthy, no one in heaven, above the earth, on the earth, or under the earth, who's worthy to open the uh, the seals of this scroll that's in the hand of God. Um, suddenly the Lamb appears and immediately takes the scroll and begins to open them. Well, we, even uh, during the martyrdom of Stephen, we see that Stephen 
gets a vision of heaven and he sees the son of man there at the right hand of the father. So uh, it doesn't seem likely that we're still waiting for these seals to open. If, you know, 2000 years after Jesus appeared in heaven, why is John still being told? We don't know where anyone, we don't know where he is because we've known where Jesus is right. since the first century. So we, we, we argue in the, in the book and we, we lay out the case in more detail than we can do here. But uh, we think these writers have been out there for a long, long time. We've not seen anything like this, but a hundred years ago, you know, my grandfa- my grandparents lived through uh, Spanish the, the Spanish flu of 1918 right. and 1919, which killed anywhere from 50 to 200 million people around the world. So uh, we argue that the conquering that this rider on the first uh, on the, uh, the white horse t- does is not a military conquest, but actually sort of a uh, a spiritual conquest, because Apollo was a god of arts and music, especially. And, and again, this uh, uh, this laurel leaf crown became the symbol of the Roman emperors and when you look at Western European civilization, even in America today, our, our civilization, our system of laws and government is really based on Greek and Roman philosophy, law, literature. Uh, I, we, we argue that uh, the, the conquest of the rider on the white horse of Apollo is essentially Western civilization. Even though what what you're saying, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people are making comparison to the Spanish flu and all of that. But, you know, the, the thing that I look at is there is an arrogance, uh, confidence, whatever you want to call it, in today's world. I live an hour and a half from the, the Kennedy Space Center. There are so many rockets now going into space, going to the space station that we don't even go outside anymore to, to look at it. Um, you know, we've got mm-hmm. to, I, I'm sitting here in my studio. I've got seven different computers sitting around me. I could connect across the globe to anybody in real time and have a video chat. I think that in this society, different than what happened during the Spanish flu, I think there was the thought that we're above all this, that, that you know, as human beings, that we've got all this technology, all this, all this medical technology, and none of this is going to happen. And yet here we are. We're, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're we're wearing masks, going to the grocery store. We're being told we can't leave our houses uh, in this day and age of technology. So I, I, I like that at least from you know, a teaching standpoint uh, to just kind of point out the reality that, uh, you know, one day uh, we're all prideful and we think we've got it all figured out. And then the next day we're in one of these situations, which certainly uh, is right out of one of these Bible prophecy movies. Like all of a sudden the whole state of California, Mm -hmm. if you told somebody five years ago, Derek, that there's going to be a plague that's going to come, a disease where the entire state of California will be told to stay inside your house and don't come out. They would have laughed at you, wouldn't they have? <laughs> yeah. And then good luck, you know, having power seven days a week, 24-7, you know, rolling right. blackouts because we can't keep the power lines up. Yeah. And it just so, does remind I, us of of our humanity, doesn't it? It, it certainly does. I, I want to cover the other two uh, riders really quickly. Yes. I think you'll appreciate our take on the Absolutely. rider on the black horse. The rider on the, the red horse, of course, we connect to the uh, the war god. But interestingly, and I only learned this a couple of years ago, the uh, war god of the Greeks and Romans, Ares, Mars, was actually the national god of Moab, hmm. Chemosh. They just... Uh, Different name, the, the Greeks and the Romans, there was a lot more interchange between both cultural and religious, between uh, the land of Israel and the lands around it. And the Greek world 
uh, even before the time of the judges than we really realized. The rider on the black horse was really interesting. That one took a little more work to dig into it. Uh, the word translated scales in English is the Greek word zygos or zugos rather, which uh, actually means yoke, like what you put on an ox in order to get them to pull the plow. Mm -hmm. And so what we're looking at here is not just famine. We're looking at a system of economic slavery. Wow. And when we started digging into the, uh, the, the, the religions of the Greeks and the Romans, which John's readers would have known in the first century, but also then the, 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 the pantheon coming out of Mesopotamia, which is really where the Greeks got their religion. The one that stood out was a god called Nabu, Nabu was known, uh, really came to prominence around the time of the, uh, the the Babylonian kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, his name means Nabu protect the sun. Um, and other kings of Babylon from that period had his name as the uh, what they call the Theophoric element or the God name. Uh, Nabopolassar, Nabuzeradon, uh, Nabonidus, hmm. all named for Nabu. He was the god of scribes who, in, a, in an age and in a place where most people were illiterate, the scribes were really, really important because they recorded the prophecies of the gods. They kept the ledgers and the accounts of who gave what to the king and who gave what to the temples. They recorded the deeds. Uh, they sent letters, took dictation. They were essentially a combination of scribe, um, uh, like a court-appointed, uh, 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 what are the uh, the words? Uh, getting to an age where I'm starting to lose now. Yeah, like and, a, uh, you uh, know, like the, the court, the uh, rec keeper of the records at the court, the clerk of the right, records. Right. Yeah. So it was like somebody who was like a recorder of deeds yeah. and an attorney and also somebody who assisted the priest by writing down all the holy books, but essentially the one who kept the accounts. In fact, there was a small temple just discovered in ancient Babylon uh, just a couple of years ago, dedicated to Nabu of accounts. Well, Nabu, um, when he moved into the Greek and Roman world, became known as Hermes and Mercury. And Mercury is uh, the name derived from the same Latin root from which we get uh, merchandise and mercantile and commerce. Hmm. So the god of merchants, merchandise sales, the god who keeps track of accounts and ledgers, uh, writes down the law. And, and what is today's world if we are not governed by, by accountants and attorneys? But here's the thing that blew my mind as we were doing some research. And I stumbled onto this little detail. Uh, back in 2009, right after the uh, real estate crisis, MasterCard introduced a new fee on all transactions paid by the merchants directly to MasterCard. So it's a two-cent charge. Um, and Discover and Visa and American Express, they've got variants of this. They go by different names. But... Uh, and they could have called this anything, that Jim. They could have called this the uh, uh, the usage fee or the transaction fee or whatever. They decided to call it the network access and brand usage fee, the NABU. Wow. So every time you <laughs> use a MasterCard, two cents goes to NABU. Yeah, the, what a coincidence, right? I mean, that's crazy. That is amazing that and you figured that cards. out. So was your thought that, well, that, and, and, that that particular horseman is – to bring economic uh, destruction, which then leads us to this. I They're calling it reset, but it's just a different name for what we've been talking about for years in the Christian community, which is a one world uh, financial system. 
Exactly. And that brings us back around to what we began opening, what we opened the discussion with, the Great Reset and all of that. That is economic slavery. And we've seen various aspects of this. I mean, student loans, you cannot discharge them through, right. uh, except in rare circumstances, through uh, bankruptcy. Credit cards, certainly an instrument of economic slavery. But uh, yeah, right now with uh, this this Great Reset coming where they're telling us openly, by 2035, you will own nothing and you'll like it. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And this is oh, also okay. part of this talk of where you get a a guaranteed check every week or every month from the government, this universal basic income, so-called. Um, and then, of course, that's going to be tied to, you know, requirements like, well, you will take it away from you if you don't do these things we tell you to do, similar to what they're doing in China with their social credit system. I mean, that's what scares me. It's any time that the government wants to, uh, you know, give you something, then there's going to be strings. And that thing, whatever that is, if you're getting a weekly check and they tell you that, look, uh, if we see you going to that church you're going to. That check's going to go away. Or if we see you online doing or saying certain things or saying hateful things, which is basically anything you quote from the Bible today is considered hate because somebody doesn't like that. Um, we're going to take that away from you. So this becomes part of the whole system. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the direction things are going. And that's uh uh, we, we delve into that to a degree in Giants, Gods, and Dragons. The, the, the overall, the, the point of the book is this. Uh, as we're heading into end times prophecy, we in the, the in, into the end times, being aware of Bible prophecy, we should as a church, as believers in Jesus Christ, which means by definition we should have a supernatural worldview, we need to wake up and realize that these weird parts of the Bible where they talk about the giants in Genesis 6, we talk about the dragons, not just the prophetic dragons, uh, Satan, the red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and the beast emerging from the sea, but Leviathan, chaos, Job chapter 41. You want to get a kid excited about the Bible, tell him to read Job 41. It describes a dragon in perfect detail. Giants, gods, dragons, the small g gods, which they're being fed through so-called literature right now, Greek or pagan, really, religion. Um, all of this stuff was known to the apostles, to the prophets, the Hebrew prophets, and they understood that that world, that realm is real, and that will make the Bible come alive. When you begin to understand that uh, this this stuff is weird, but if it's weird, it's important. Yeah, and we're going to start seeing, uh, I mean, more and more of this stuff, as, as our friend Ellie Marzulli calls it, the, the, the curtain is getting to be very thin between the natural and the supernatural. And we're starting to see all kinds of things about UFO disclosure and just, just all mm -hmm. kinds. I mean, I, I said that to one of my friends the other day, I think I'm in one of those like left behind movies. All I need to see is Kirk Cameron. And then I know for sure because <laughs> he, he's in all those movies, of course, but we want to make Make sure people have all of the information. They love you here on our show. Every time you're on, we get so much uh, email, positive response. His name is Derek Gilbert. So let's start with that. So if you go to Amazon and you type in Derek, D-E-R-E-K, last name Gilbert, Derek Gilbert, you'll find all of the books he's written. There are many, many books there. This one we're talking about tonight is co-authored with his wife, Sharon. But now, Derek Gilbert, tell us all about Skywatch TV and the other things that you do, your own shows, how people can get to the bookstore for Skywatch. And they have all kinds of package deals, which would be great Christmas gifts this time of year. Tell us everything else we need to know. 
Well, Skywatch TV is a weekly program that's carried on a number of Christian networks around the country. Uh, as part of w- w- some of the transitioning we're doing into moving into 2021, we've moved into a new studio uh, that uh, Tom Horn has literally built for pennies on the dollar. Um, but it looks fantastic. But as we're transitioning into the new studio, Joe Horn is taking over the host of the regular broadcast program as Sharon and I are now in pre-production for a program that will take the place of Sci Friday called The Bible's Greatest Mysteries. Hmm. And we're beginning to work on that now. Think uh, Destination Unknown crossed with uh, Unsolved Mysteries from a Christian perspective. And that's what we'll be doing in 2021. So we'll be going to places like Gobekli Tepe, we hope, um, Gilgal Rephaim, and, and investigating those places, but instead of presenting new agey answers, viewing them through the lens of the Bible. It's like, why were they motivated to build, you know, Baalbek with these huge stones? Why, why, you know, why was there a temple built on the very summit of Mount Hermon? Things like that. And uh, that's what we'll be working on. But you can follow all of what we do at Skywatch TV at skywatchtv.com. And then the great package offers that Tom Horn puts together for the books published by Defender Publishing are at skywatchtvstore.com, skywatchtvstore.com, and the book Giants, Gods, and Dragons. As a package, we put together, I think, 27 hours of uh, DVD teachings, and that includes the two travel documentaries we put together for our tours to Israel. And uh, so 27 hours of video plus wow. the book for $35 plus shipping and handling. And the book is Giants, Gods, and Dragons, Exposing the Fallen Realm and the Plot to Ignite the Final War of the Ages. And Derek Gilbert, are you still doing the five in five minutes deal or is that on, on oh, yeah. hiatus? Yep. Still doing that? Nope. Five and ten is five and ten is a regular thing. And we'll be keep keep doing that uh, and as long as I've got breath. Uh, may have to be doing some of those from the road once travel opens up and we start uh getting out and about to uh, do some investigation for the Bible's greatest mysteries, but uh, that's okay. Well, I'm glad you cleared uh, so up. Five uh, and 10, that'll be up every day. I'm glad you cleared up who the four horsemen were because I was starting to think they were governors of four of the blue States. So <laughs> I'm glad that we we came to a little bit more biblical answer to that, uh, how I've been feeling at least lately. Uh, Derek Gilbert of Skywatch TV. Thank you so much for being with us, pal. We'll have you back again soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jim. God bless. Uh, what a great guy. Uh, he's always got, you know, I feel like I'm in Bible school again, sitting here listening to him. It just gives me chills hearing him talk about this. And, you know, it's one thing to think about Bible prophecy and and the end times is like when I was younger to think about that kind of like is in the future. But now that I, I, I believe I'm living in it right now. And man, does it make you look at your life differently? and everything that's happening around you differently. And never forget that this battle that's going on is a spiritual battle. You might be looking at your checkbook and be short on funds. You might be going through a health problem. You might be going through a relationship problem, having a problem in your business, having a problem in the workplace. Uh, Remember that these are spiritual battles, that are happening. And the only way to win a spiritual battle is through prayer. So yeah, do all the other things, you know, try to cut expenses, try to live more frugally, try to come up with some new marketing for your business, try to, you know, be smarter uh, in the workplace, uh, be, be more value to your employer. All that's great. But don't forget to pray because that's when you bring God into the equation. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember if it's Sunday night, It's Jim Paris live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody.